welcome along to the COVID Care Podcast. I'm your host, Caroline West, and on this podcast, I chat to care providers who assisted a variety of vulnerable people during this time. The podcast is a part of the Tortoise Shack Network, and if you wish to support the work that the Shack does, you can donate at patreon.com forward slash tortoise shack. Today, we are discussing the experiences of parents during lockdown. I'm speaking to occupational therapist who is working in the field of sex education, Sarah Sproul, and chartered accountant and founder of the organisation Empower the Family, Deborah Samoran. Guys, thank you so much for joining me today. I think it's really important to include the experiences of parents during this whole, what do we call it, mess, lockdown, um, (laughs) (laughs) experience, wildlife. So how are you both keeping today? Good. Thank you for having me. Um, Really appreciate it. Mm, yeah it's just great that the kids are at school now so anything you ask me I'm going to be like yippee (laughs) (laughs) we we will bear that in mind when you're asking how you feel (laughs) during the podcast Um, I suppose you're both each coming at parenting from different perspectives do you want to share with us what your family setup actually is Deb we might start with yourself yeah, so I have an 11 year old little boy. I had him when I was super young. Um, I was 15 when I had him, 14 when I got pregnant. And I also am now a foster parent to an incredible 16 year old young woman called Gleisha. Um, so, yeah, I have two, two babas. Um, and that's my setup. So, I only became a foster parent in the last month and a half. So, during lockdown, like, I suppose yeah during the COVID stuff I suppose um so that's been really good um it's been really lovely to be completely honest with you and it's given us the time especially at the start to just focus on setting our family up you know and and our our new normal um for all three of us we also got a puppy um who is currently doing all sorts of somersaults to try and get away um and and cause mayhem um and so yeah so it's been a lot of change um in my family life but i think one of the big things for me during lockdown was that i got to slow down i'm one of these people where like my doctor tells me that my calendar gives him anxiety you know so it's just it's just like it's usually back to back and mental and I literally do schedule you know an hour play with Liam after work or then obviously at the weekends um there's at least a day that's for us but I do think that that's not enough for me now you know on reflection I think how much time we've spent together during lockdown particularly like getting to do stuff like have breakfast together during the week is something we never have time to do, you know? Um, so yeah, I've, I've, I've refocused my priorities and I'm definitely better at saying no to things now because I'd rather spend the time with my kids and with my family. And I was very bad at doing that before because I don't know. I just felt like I had to, I don't know. I don't know. And, and I was still trying to do that. I was still trying to spend time at Liam, but I don't re- I don't think I realized how busy I'd gotten, you know, and, and how little time I was actually getting to spend with him. And we definitely dive into that a lot more throughout the course of this podcast. Um, Sarah, you're also someone who definitely would schedule, their schedule would give their doctor cause for concern. So what's your family set up? So um, I have three almost teens. So I have a almost 17-year-old as of tomorrow, a 15-year-old and an almost 13-year-old. And I just came from a dyslexia assessment for one of those kids today with a wonderful educational psychologist. So I'm feeling all the feels right now. Um, I'm married to uh, an Irish guy and we have a member of chosen family that who is Kelly and she's been living with us for four years and is sort of probably the only way that I managed to do everything I do because I work for myself from home and, you know, and most of the family responsibility does fall. Well, it used to fall way more on my shoulders than now because of covid but i'm sure we'll talk about that so uh yeah like juggling lots of adult-sized bodies now um we and two fur babies two cockapoos i'm glad you love the cockapoos (laughs) (laughs) no definitely not 
Awesome. So I get, yeah, very different for both of you, but I'm sure you're going to discover, I suppose, a lot of parallels between experiences. So walk me through the start of lockdown. So we had, you know, February, March-ish kind of time. We weren't sure, you know, how things were going to go. We weren't sure if it was going to be a full lockdown. There was rumours that the schools were going to be closed for circulating for a little bit of time. And I think then when the lockdown was actually announced, a lot of kids were still actually in school and they were told just not to come back um, the next day or the Monday, whatever it was. Talk me through how that experience was was for each of you. You know, you know, that feeling of is 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 this going to happen? What will I do about the schools? How do you plan for a lockdown when most of us have never experienced this before? Mm. Well, I'll I'll go first because I think I probably am the the anti-planner, surprisingly. Like I have an uber regimented week in terms of my work. But when it came to lockdown, it was sort of like, I don't think I fully realized what was happening. And um, I just kept merrily doing scheduling the work commitments that I had. And I was imagining like, okay, well, the kids will just sort of muddle on along and I will get everything that I need to, to do done and everything will be fine. And it became readily apparent fairly quickly, I'd say within the first week that um, that was completely unrealistic. And that the sort of the, the collision of reality versus what I assumed it would be like was fairly intense and involved a lot of shouting and tears and they weren't all mine. I just put up my hands and say that because we were all like, we we're all trying to work out how the heck do you do this thing? There were, there were no rules for it. It wasn't like it was a, just a weekend. It was something that none of us had experienced before. It was really intense. And Deb, would you have had that same experience? Yeah, it was honestly, um, I, I suppose, sorry, lockdown, I just had the one child. So, <laughs> you know, I thought, well, this will be fine. You know, I was like, Jesus, I don't know what I'd do if I had more than one. This would, this would be so hectic. But even that was pretty busy because he has Zoom calls that he was doing all day, you know, for school. I had Zoom calls that I had to do. You know, it was just, it was, it was organized chaos I would say um for till we got a routine um, and really that routine only came in the summer to be completely honest with you when I got when we got to have a break from the school and um, from the homeschooling it was just very hard to juggle the meetings um, and getting the work done at a reasonable time I did find myself working till ridiculous hours just to try and get stuff out of the way and um, because during the day I might not have enough time might spend two hours, you know, um, with Liam on homeschooling or, some, or something. And also kids don't understand I'm working, you know, like they're going to still keep coming to you every five minutes with, can I have this? And can I do this? And blah, blah, blah. So, um, and you know, you're having your Zoom calls and Fortnite is going downstairs. You're like, can you turn that down, please? You know, so it was a nightmare. And then I think on top of that, it was all the Black Lives Matter stuff happening, which from an emotional perspective, really true me. And it was like on top of all of this anxiety and worry about what's going to happen, nobody knows what's going to happen with jobs, blah, blah, blah. Um, it, are people safe? And I also I'm at, in an at-risk group. I've got really severe asthma. So there was a lot going on, a lot going on. So the summer was a very welcome break to just... Um, to not have as many have as many things juggling. Yeah, Deb, you had all the Black Lives Matter stuff on top of the regular stress and anxiety of being a single parent, managing parenting during lockdown, managing homeschooling, and then I suppose it, you know all that stress that was demonstrated in the media when when all the coverage of um, Black Lives Matter really kind of erupted, and especially in Ireland. And then we had the people who denied that there are racism in Ireland, which obviously is 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 not the case. So I can imagine your mental health must have been a little bit of a roller coaster around that time. Absolutely, and I think every person of color, particularly people who, um, every black person, particularly that was in. A professional environment because like for me you know you learn all of this stuff in college about you know you just think you're just in this bubble when you're in college you just don't realize that 
it's 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 not you know um equal for everybody you know in reality we're just not we're so far away from that and i think from the different you know events i did with other black professionals we were all kind of going to our employers and saying yeah there's a problem you know and we were all going and saying what what are you going to do you know um and that's something that hasn't happened before i think particularly in ireland because with black lives matter before it might be two people protesting outside the american embassy you know like there was never that o'connell street or there'd be protests in every county in ireland that hadn't happened before and even in particular normally there might be like one person who's like, okay, I'll speak about my racist experience. And then everybody else will be like, no, no, it's been great. You know, I've never experienced anything like that. I don't know what that person's talking about. But every single person came out and said, there's a problem. This is what's happened to me. This is what's happened to my friends. So yeah, it's it was a very welcome step. And there was really great pieces of research even that came out from um i think it was esri or the irish um human rights and equality commission um around unconscious biases but it actually was around hidden attitudes so conscious biases actually um hidden attitudes based on you know um educational attainment because I think pre- previously there was sort of a narrative there that like, oh, if there is a problem with racism, that's not something that's our problem. It's it's just in like disadvantaged groups or, you know, there's ignorance. And actually, for me, I can tell you that that's not the case. I can tell you that whatever I like, I've grown up around Ballymun and Finglas, like my best friends are from there or like hanging around Dorset Street flats. I never felt different. You know, I never felt, I always felt fully embraced um, by people in those communities. You know, um, it was whenever I stepped into middle-class spaces that I started to feel uncomfortable. Like there's no scenario where I'd be at an event with my friends, like in sin nightclub or someone would come up to me and be like, oh my God, you're black. Like there's no scenario and that's amazing. Like no one would say that. It would just be like, we're all having having a great time. But in middle-class spaces, that does happen. You know, it's like someone will come up to you and be like, oh God, your skin is so great. Come here, Ashling, touch her skin. Isn't it great? And you're just like, what is actually happening? You know, um, or someone will start touching your hair or your child's hair, you know, without permission. This used to happen with Liam. Well, now Liam will, Liam's t- nearly taller than me. So Liam will not let you touch his hair. But when he was a baby, people would just come up and like reach into his boogie and start feeling his hair. And it's just like, what? Um, And I didn't have, I don't know. I just didn't understand that the way that I do now in terms of why did people feel that was an okay thing to do? Because I can't imagine a scenario where I just reach into someone's, a stranger's boogie and start touching their child's hair you know like that would just be like i'd expect someone to call the police as opposed to if i called the police if someone did that they'd be like you're overreacting probably you know they didn't mean any malice this is the other thing you know didn't mean any malice then it's fine but intention isn't always um isn't always the it shouldn't always be the main factor you know ignorance is a big thing should someone have known better there's right and there's wrong you know regardless of let's even say regardless of race or gender any of those things we all know right and wrong should we do that full stop no like just you know even ask but like maybe don't as well because it's kind of going back to those days where black people were in a zoo and people came and you know saw the black child you know like and it's it's just it's it's a really interesting um it's a really interesting time. And I think the real frustration as well was, you know, there's some people who would like to pretend black people have only arrived in Ireland in the last, you know, couple of years or in the last two decades, but that's not the case. If you go to Dublin zoo and you look in the, they have a picture outside the gate of like Dublin zoo back in like, you know, the 1970s or something. And there's a black family there there's a black family in that picture and I was like so it's not true that black people haven't existed here even when you go through the RT archives of documentaries there's stories of people 
talking about how they wanted to bleach their skin because of how they're being made to feel in Irish communities. So I don't think that this is a new problem. I just think this is a new problem that people are talking about and caring about. And I think one of the really interesting thing about that hidden attitudes study was that when people were anonymous in comparison to when it was the studies were done when they weren't anonymous, particularly with middle-class people, their attitudes were more negative when it was hidden. So it was that there was a realization that it's it's just not cool. It's just not the done thing to actually have these attitudes be be out in the open, you know, but when you're anonymous, it's and and that's sad. And so that that's where the real frustration around people saying that racism didn't exist in Ireland came from. It's like, Jesus, if this is the starting point, you know, we still have we need to get to work yesterday, you know. Um so yeah, that's that's that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and that I suppose I wouldn't call it a silver lining as such, but the fact that everyone was, you know, not in work for lockdown meant that we were consuming more social media content, actually listening to a different, um, I suppose, variety of voices uh, and, you know, it kind of laid the seed for, for massive protests and stuff. But again, the, the mental health aspect of, of that is, you know, like you said, it reaches into so many different areas. Um, and, and for you, Sarah, yeah. I know it's obviously going to be a, a different response but you know you're f- originally from Australia you know you're you're a long time over here now um you're 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 you know well assimilated at this point you're not a recent blow-in um how how did you cope with the mental health aspects of lockdown and then again where do you start with the news reports and all the stuff that's going on in the world and managing to communicate to your kids what's going on because your kids are teenagers Mm -hmm. you know they're accessing social media themselves they're Mm -hmm. you know they're learning about the world that way so how how did you approach that the question is when you say how did I approach it it's like oh I, I I imagine my answer needs to be very well thought out and considered but it wasn't like that at all it was sort of like ah scary I need to keep myself safe and just like just putting aside me being a parent for a minute um I was one of those people that in the beginning was a little bit like oh I don't know how to do this well I'm really afraid and you know hearing stories well hearing your story like someone I knew who was you know bedridden with this thing and um I was got to the point where I wasn't even really going out of the house very much. And I have anxiety. I've had it my whole of my, I was going to say my adult life, but probably even longer than that. And so what was happening is this spiral of not going out and staying home and feeling more anxious and trying to work because this was the other thing. I felt like I, and this is completely unrealistic, but I'm just going to say it. I felt like I had the sole responsibility of, um, fixing the problems to do with the fact that kids weren't in school and therefore weren't getting sexuality education because most of, um, you know, in Ireland, it's fifth and sixth class kids. And um, I would have been traveling around Ireland at that time, providing that service, didn't do that. Oh my goodness, what should I do? How can I help? And I tried to create this whole online program, sexuality education. I spent weeks and weeks on it only to get to the end and go, I'm so tired. And in fact, I don't think I can do this. I, I think it's it, it just didn't seem right. And it was one of those panicked responses of, I have to do something, I have to make everything okay, uh, I have to stay safe, I muddle along with my kids in the house, but work, 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 work. So it was all a bit of a, a schmozzle, really, for want of a better word. And when Deb said about the relief that came from the summer holidays, it was just like, oh, yeah, I remember that feeling so well. And you didn't have to police your kids and were they doing their lessons and were they submitting their homework and how long have they sat at the laptop or the iPad and who was using what technology and um, did they even have lunch and what did they have and why didn't they eat their fruit? And it was just, ugh, I'm covering my eyes now as I think about it going like all that juggling Um, was really hard and it coincided actually thank goodness with um, a course that I'd signed up to participate in to do with mindful self-compassion if it wasn't for that in that course that told me taught me essentially things are really hard anyone would find this hard and it's gonna it's gonna be okay you can look after yourself like if it wasn't for that 
I don't know actually where I'd be now, Caroline, to be quite honest. <laughs> yeah, I really don't know where I'd be. Yeah. And you mentioned juggling there and, you know, and back when I, I got sick back in March with COVID and I basically spent two months having four hours of awake time every day and I was texting you and, and you were super anxious and I remember just going this is fine I you know I can I can just stay in and watch Netflix this is fine and obviously I don't I don't have kids so I had the benefit of being able to get sick without having to also look after vulnerable people or you know and luckily I had a partner who was really great at bringing me meals in bed mm. and um there's a lot of breakfast in, in bed back then um not now so much <laughs> I've kind of used to fold all the goodwill for that <laughs> but uh, how did both of you I suppose like manage that juggling of you know I didn't have to worry about explaining COVID to young people I didn't have to worry about managing school pickups like even if I wasn't sick it, I, I still was in a pretty privileged position where we could just stay at home work from home you know manage things that way um and I know Sarah you have your partner and you have someone in the house to help but Deb you were a single mom so how talk about juggling on a normal basis you know it, it's a pretty it's pretty hard experience but in the middle of lockdown when you're trying to work and manage schoolwork, what did that look like um, so Liam's a really great kid. He's 11. Sorry, my son is 11. And so he's very copped on for his age is the way I put it. He is a natural worrier. And that's where I started worrying for his own mental health because he'd give me a daily update on the number of cases. And I was trying to avoid the news and he had trackers and everything. So he was very worried about what would happen um if if someone caught it or in particular if I caught it because you know it would just be me here you know how how would we cope so and but he took it really well um Liam was really great like I didn't have to get him up for his classes he was up sitting in front of the camera ready to go you know he had his his schoolwork and everything done he had to do two presentations while he was in lockdown um and he did them grand like the last week I let him have the last couple days off um, and I got a I got a bollocking from the teachers from that one but I honestly didn't care because anything they're going to do they were going to you know anything that realistically they're going to cover during the lockdown period they're going to cover it again properly in you know when the school term started in September and he just had enough at that stage you know he was mentally fried from getting up and doing everything and they were doing things like baking and he's just like you know why am i here you know um i think not seeing his friends was very hard because they're all very close but you know i didn't have rules as much around say the playstation i think those kind of things went out the window for a lot of parents so he was able to once all of his work was done right you can go on the playstation you can chat to your friends on Fortnite. you know so they were able to stay connected that way um so much so that when there was like the first play date it was like why am i going i was like i thought you don't want to see your friends after four months but because they've been talking to each other the whole time you know they didn't really feel by the end of it you know that they'd missed out that much um but at the start that was definitely something he struggled with and his dad lives in wicklow so i co-parent with his dad he spends um two weekends with me a month and then the other two weekends with his dad and then he spends his school holidays with his dad usually as well he's trying to put it in the middle so that was quite hard and that's been very different because he's only seen his dad for about a week in the last few months and um, gotten to stay with him for a week and that's just with all of the craziness and wanting to keep him safe by not putting him on public transport unnecessarily um so yeah, it's been it's been a roller coaster, but relatively it's been okay. Um, would absolutely have loved to have a partner. I think particularly like I have a, a cleaner that comes um as well. So that's one of the ways that I like juggle everything in terms of like um keeping keeping the house in order. So not having her was a big thing as well because oh god, it was like when are we supposed to find time to clean and cook and look after and check the homework and then do my work and and I suppose I'm juggling two jobs you know I'm not only juggling PwC I was also looking at the charity and we were at a stage and we are at a stage where we're about to acquire our site from Dublin City Council but you know everything's slowed down now so 
we had to reevaluate what does that mean in terms of our funding? What does that mean in terms of our timeline? Um, what does that mean going forward? So there was a lot of stuff going on. And even in PwC, to be completely honest with you, we ju- I can't say with any certainty at the start of lockdown that I knew that all of our jobs were safe. Um, I think we all know that now. I think um, they've given us a lot more reassurances around that, but I don't think they knew, you know, at the start. I don't think anyone knew what what, what things are going to look like, but thankfully we've had a, a better couple of months than we'd expected, you know, but I don't, I don't know if that's going to be across the board. So that's the other sad thing. So I know people who, not, maybe not in my own firm, but in other companies have gotten let go, you know, and who have been made redundant. And that's very, very tough. So, yeah, sorry. It's it's a huge rant to say there's a lot. I was very anxious. He was anxious. But we we found we found ways to keep each other sane. And I think the main thing was that we got to spend more time together. So it just didn't seem as painful. I just felt really fortunate that I got so much time to spend with him to be completely honest with you and that's why coming out of lockdown and kind of moving forward I was reevaluating. okay what are the bits that I had to drop that I actually want to bring back with me and what are the things I want to leave behind you know and anything that's outside of my charity or PwC to be completely honest with you I'm just not doing anymore I just don't have I'm I'm just saying I'm sorry I don't have the capacity um, and that's hard. That's so hard. And um, particularly with all the Black Lives Matter stuff happening, like I had to take a week off work just to figure out like where, what my position was on that. You know, it was just so mentally draining. And I was getting asked for interviews and stuff like that. But I just found it more beneficial to refer other people, other academics on to do those things because I just didn't know what I wanted to say yet. I was somewhere between angry and like hopeful and it was just, it was it was a lot going on. But the main thing was I, I was very lucky that I got to spend time with my son. And yeah, that that was that 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 was what I tried. To, I tried to look at situations from a glass half full perspective. So although it was organized chaos and a very anxious time and a lot of uncertainty, I just was, I, I tried to be thankful every day just, just for our health and, 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 and that we were getting to, to spend this time together that we, we, we never get to spend together. So, yeah. And, and Sarah, for you, with, with three um, little munchkins who are probably all busy all the time with, you know, after school stuff as well, did you find that as well that all of a sudden you went from limited time to lots and lots of time together? And how did you manage that? Like Deb found the, the, the silver lining in it. And, and settling into the routine. So how was that for you? It was interesting because um, once the shock of it all had sort of worn off and it was like, okay, now we just have to work out a way to be in this. It was quite amazing how it gave us the opportunity to when I say see the kids, of course they're in the house, but really see them for who they are because, you know, we both John and I, we work for ourselves and the kids have busy schedules. You sort of, you, you run on what you assume they still are sort of thing. It's sort of a little bit embarrassing, but anyway, but this, it was like day in, day out. I work at the dining room table. They were doing their school at the dining room table. And so you really got to see them more and, like I referenced earlier that today I took one of my teens for an assessment to do with dys- dyslexia. That is directly related to actually seeing him struggle and really noticing the difference between how he was able to approach that unstructured school scenario and his siblings. It was so starkly different and it was in my face as opposed to him coming home and saying oh, I'm, I'm struggling I'm struggling it's like I don't understand why it's not as easy for me as my friends which you know I, in retrospect I would have loved to be that parent that can go okay I know what to do with that but I just didn't even though we'd had an assessment for dyslexia before that so it was sort of like um the gift of really seeing them again in all of their complexity and all of their, like who they are. Like, for example, um, they started to do when, when the, you know, that 2k register became 5k, whatever it was, they started to do bicycle rides. And um, we're, we're sort of in a city Dublin and the, 
two of the kids and John decided to ride the bike out to Lucan along the canal and on the pathways and all that. And one of the amazing things about that experience, apart from rediscovering the city in which you live, which was amazing, was again, seeing the children for who they are. And wow, you know, one of them rides a bike to explore the scenery and one of them rides a bike to win. (laughs) I am going to beat you at this bicycle riding thing and it's not a race, but I am sure damn making sure it is a race and I'm just going to get wherever we're going as fast as possible. You know, so that it's another example of really seeing them again. And that is the gift of time, but also the gift of no other distractions because everything was stripped away. John and I, part of the way that we need to maintain our relationship is to spend time just the two of us. We would do that Monday nights and Friday nights before COVID. Then COVID hit and that sort of went out the window, but we found that we don't, we don't actually have to spend, um, one-on-one time actually working in adjoining rooms and being able to hear each other work and seeing each other in different situations, which we never would have before, um, has been an amazing thing that's brought us together. So I think that's just another example of that gift of time, which helps helped me to see everyone so much more clearly and to appreciate all of them for what they can do naturally and what is a struggle. So it sounds like massive learning curves really there um, and, and unexpected learning curves because none of us obviously planned to be living in a pandemic. So, yeah, speaking of learning curves, like going prepping your child for going back to school then in the midst of, you know, we're just at a lockdown. There's still some restrictions in place, but, you know, the, the conversation is all about let's go back to school. And I'm sure a lot of the kids had a lot of anxiety over that, especially like Debbie was saying, Liam was checking the the stats and, and the figures every day. So he would have been quite aware that going back to school would be quite a, a, a risk, I suppose, to his health and your health. Um, how did you manage prepping him to, to go back to school? And, and how was he about that? Yeah, so the school was actually really good. You know, they sent videos over of like, okay, this is how you're going to go into the school now. And these are how the classrooms are going to look, you know, just so the kids were prepared. Um, Liam had 10 million pieces of hand sanitizer and tissues and anything else that he needed with him as well um, to help him. And um, yeah, that was, he, he's not a big fan of masks. So because he's under 12, he gets away with not wearing one. But, um, and thankfully he doesn't have to wear one all day in school. But um, he was relatively okay, to be honest. He's obviously, he's gotten used to not having to get up every day for school. So it's been tough to get him back into a routine where that's not an issue. <laughs> I, yesterday, so they leave for school in the morning, like 7am. And yesterday he just decided, oh, I didn't get enough sleep. So I'm just going to go in a bit later. I'll tell the teacher. I was like, sorry, no, no, that's not a thing. You know, um, you're going to If school. only, you know, we'd all I like know, that. Right? <laughs> I know, right? I was like, Jesus. I was like, imagine I can tell my boss, I didn't get enough sleep. I'll just go in a bit later. And yeah. that would be incredible. Um, so, you know, it, it's he's definitely finding that a lot tougher, you know, in comparison to the fact that he was getting up grand and started lockdown. And normally he's grand for getting up for school, getting his shoes on, everything else. But kind of dragging his feet now so um yeah that was that was interesting to get them back into a routine but it's it's been relatively okay I think um I think for him it's nice that he has his sister you know to with him um going to school they get the school bus together they get the school bus home together so it's not lonely you know it's not as as scary and they can chat to each other and stuff so yeah, it's been relatively okay um, to, to kind of get back into that routine and, and for him to get back into that routine. Yeah. And Sarah, you, you've three times the, <laughs> the routine to get back into. How did that work for you? We had the situation where um, our youngest child was finishing primary school. So he was in sixth class when everything got locked down. So he missed out on a lot of those rituals and um, sort of rites of passage that happen with that move. So I think, I don't know if it was me that felt the loss of that even more than him, but um, it, it, so he was going back to a school that he 
had never attended before. So in a way you could look at that as though, well, he didn't know what secondary school was like pre-COVID. So he just adapted with, so they wear masks each day and they wear their sport kit if they have sport afterwards or they have um, any sort of physical ed during the day. So it's very different compared to what it's been like for the other two starting. They all go to the same school. But um, I think all of us were just so glad for some sort of routine, even that kids were so delighted to go back just to have access to their friends again and um, and some sort of structure. We all, all, we all realized that we love structure. <laughs> and so um, school represents that a bit and um, it was just a joyful time. So we didn't have any concerns or worries though. I just like Deb also have a child who loves to watch the stats and count the numbers. And they, they were going back to school and he kept saying things like, we're not going to be here for very long. And he'd shake his head wisely and go, what are the government doing? You know, shaking his head again. And we're like, yeah, well, who knows? Let's just do our best. Off you go, <laughs> you know, and they're still there. So that's, not, so that, that's something. <laughs> Yeah, learning curve for him. Then he he sounds yeah. like an old soul in a in a young yeah. body. So yeah, and yeah. um, one of the things that that really struck me for a lot of parents during lockdown were, were new parents who had brand new babies, and you know you couldn't have the usual coffee mornings with other mums or show off the the new addition to the family. And Debbie mentioned that you became a foster mum again during um lockdown. So what was that like? If you can't introduce you know, your new addition to the family, to, to people. I know you said it was great that you got time to really get to know each other, which sounds lovely. But what was that, that kind of feeling of missing out that you can't introduce them to everyone? Isha um, is a bit of an introvert, as am I. So <laughs> I think she was happy that I, there wasn't some sort of welcome to the family party. But it's definitely, um, you know, like say my dad called me on it all happened very quickly. So my dad would have been chatting to me on a Thursday, say, for example, and then I chatted to him on a Monday. And he was like, oh, how are you and Liam? And I was like, yeah, and Isha and Hercules. And he's like, sorry, who are these extra people? I was like, well, Isha's my new foster daughter. Hercules is our new dog. <laughs> he's like, what happened in the space of a weekend? So it was a lot of change very quickly. And not everyone, not all my family members or even all my friends and colleagues know about the fact that I, I, I have a new addition to my family. And... It's an interesting one, you know. I'm just telling people as we as we go, but obviously, um, I think I think I wouldn't have, you know, done a big thing introducing her to people, anyways, especially because she's 16, you know, um, she's not a baby. But for my friends who actually had new babies, that I really like, a really it was really sad that I didn't get to go and see them, you know, and I couldn't go and see them, and I couldn't go and visit the baby, and all of that kind of stuff. So, um, say for example you just try and do different things so I would have gotten the presents delivered to their house directly or um, one of the girls I actually booked a cleaner for her once it was safe to do so to go over for a few hours and just give her a break you know um just had a new baby so That's it was nice to be able to, to do give. yeah <laughs> right I was like I remember that time um it, it was nice to be able to do things like that but it was just you were missing out on that and but oh, Jesus, I was all those videos online. Oh, so heartbreaking of the grandparents meeting their children through a pane of glass, or not getting to, or having to meet them on Zoom. Like I was like sobbing watching them. It was just so sad. Um, or even going to try and visit your grandfather in the nursing home through the window, and it was terrible. So it could have been a lot worse. And I'm I'm very thankful for the experience that we did have. And as I said, you know, I still got to do stuff for my friends who have babies. Um, and 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 when it's safe to do so I think they're still being very cautious which you obviously would be um when it's safe to do so I'm very excited to throw all of the baby post baby showers that we'll we'll throw and and, and do all of that for them and even for Leisha I don't know what she's going to want to do but we are trying hopefully if the Dublin lockdown is lifted we're going to try and do a little family break for Halloween as well um just to give them a break literally you know and um, we're going to try and go to farm phobia in me then get like nice spa treatments and Liam just wants to go to the pool so we're grand we'll go get our nails done and everything else so that's lovely that's it's really lovely to and I think that's nice because you know she's not feeling like a lot of pressure then you know because 
she's just got me to literally slot into our family, you know, um, and and people will meet her when they need to. But yeah, I think I think that's probably been nicer for her as well, just that she doesn't have to meet a lot of people very quickly. Yeah, that absolutely sounds ideal, especially if you're more on the introvert side. It's a, it's was a calmer, less societally anxiety, social anxiety inducing yeah. um, experience. Both of you are really passionate about supporting other families and, and other parents in, in whatever shape and form they come in. Sarah, you work to um, support parents to become more comfortable with your work, especially around sex education. And then, Deborah, you have your charity, Empower the Family. So have you both seen particular themes that have come up during COVID that maybe you might not have seen before or, you know, how... I suppose those kind of lessons that we learned from lockdown, how parents and, and caregivers can apply the lessons that we've learned during lockdown to their parenting. Mm. I One of the benefits, I suppose, of everyone having to work remotely was this widespread education around Zoom, which meant that, uh, so I recently did a whole week of, free workshops, giving parents the basics of, well, how do you get more comfortable? What are the things you can talk to with children at any age? How do you start a conversation? And that was online. And the take up was amazing. I had like 1300 families sign up for that. And that is not my experience before COVID. So whether or not that's just a comfort around technology or whether it's that thing about having been with their children so much, like one of the really common questions I got asked, are we allowed to talk about sexuality on your yeah, podcast? Of course. Yeah, 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 great. Always. <laughs> well, great. <laughs> Was um, my six-year-old or my four-year-old child with a vulva is humping the pillow on the couch or humping the side of the couch or their soft toy on the rug what am I meant to do about that and I was just noticing that wow I wondered if that was to do with the fact that we were all stuck in a little box all together and we we saw our children again more for more time but also just maybe more intensely and uh, we weren't busy enough that meant that we could ignore those behaviors because they were right in front of our faces all the time. So I think that was the main thing that I've noticed is that uh, seeing their kids, realizing that, which happened to me too, realizing that, oh, there are things going on that actually aren't great and I need to address. And yet at the same time, having the skills and the education to use the technology to reach out and get support. That's been one of the big benefits, I think. Brilliant. And Deb, yourself, with Empower the Family, do you think that you've had that, that same experience? I know you also, you know, you mentioned Black Lives Matter and are you having more conversations around racism within the Irish context? Yeah, so um, that's two, two, two. I'll answer the last. No, I'll answer the first one first. I think that with Empower the Family, when I started it in 2018, the idea of providing support for single parents who were in university was a very radical idea to some people and um that was because we were very much in a place where our policies um lacked a lot of humanity in my opinion um and what happened over lockdown was there was a complete 180 on that you know people who had previously been very unprogressive, I would say, and very conservative, we're now being very progressive. And for example, the eviction ban was something I was so happy to see. So the two barriers to single parents in education or even in work are education or, or um, childcare and accommodation. So if people aren't able to get evicted, that's reducing the pressure on people in terms of being able to become homeless and their ability to stay in school and be able to go on and get jobs and prosper as, as they go on. So when I saw the eviction ban come in, which had for for the last couple of years been, Jesus, no, we can't do that. You know, it was a, it was a very controversial thing. Again, it, it then seemed like a wild idea. I, 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 I thought that was amazing. I was like, right, we're finally going in a very human direction to actually solve this, this crisis and, and actually give people a fighting chance. And it was just so sad to see that 
go away. You know, it, it, you, I was listening to the radio even earlier on and all the ministers on giving out to each other. And it's just, um, Claire Burns said something really interesting to, to the current housing minister here. Oh, no, Green, all the academics and, you know, all the charities say he's got some really good policies. Would you, would you guys sit down and talk to each other? Would you take on some of those? And there's just this reluctant, we've gone back to this fighting with each other way of like, oh no, I'll listen to what Vinegale have to say. Or it's just, it's really, really, um, it's, it just feels like things are going backwards in that sense, in terms of, in terms of putting families first um, and all coming together to do what is best for people in the country, um, as opposed to fighting with each other. And even then, you know, he's talking about long-term policies and everything else. Sure, all of the people who will become homeless now, they're going to be in these like unsafe, homeless, hostile situations, these crowded situations. So I don't really, to be completely honest, I don't care about anyone's long-term solution. That's all we've kept hearing, been hearing about in the last decade is long-term solutions. But none of those are working. People need help now. And it's now a very dangerous situation, you know? So um, so that's that one. And, and that's my frustration. And we saw that change. We saw a community solidarity that came there. We saw political solidarity that came. We saw everyone trying to work together. And that seems to be going away again. And that's just really sad um, to the people who will be impacted by that. Um, the other one on conversations about race, absolutely, there's so many more um allies um and people who have reached out and like leaders who have reached out and said debbie i want to help i stand by you i want to be guided by you what is it that we need to do and that's been really lovely to see and really lovely to have that support and there's a couple of things that again pre black lives matter in in the last few months were wild ideas that i was trying to get off the ground um for for example around measuring ethnicity data which are now, I just saw that the Irish universities have committed to doing that, you know? So these are not wild ideas anymore. These are things that people are acknowledging, okay, these things actually do need to happen because if we're not measuring it, how will we know if there's a problem there? So yeah, so I've, I've seen a very positive change and I'm definitely in a more, I'm definitely in a hopeful space, you know, um, to, to work to try and make things better for, for everyone. Um, and I'm very happy about everything we're doing in Empowered Family because it is going to make a difference in people's lives. But I really just hope that some of that community solidarity that we saw at the start of lockdown just kind of comes back and we just kind of focus on on looking after after families and and and, and vulnerable people in our society. Absolutely. And I'm so glad to hear that it's not just people of colour that have to fight that battle and, and more white people are stepping up as allies and saying, OK, what, what can we actually do? Um, but you mentioned there about single parents going back to college and I suppose uh, and supporting them. They haven't really featured in a lot of the conversations and uh, you know today I suppose as well we're talking about work and and parenting but being a a parent and going back to college presents its own challenges and then especially if you're a single parent and then throw in a a pandemic on on top of that so what were were there any main issues that came up with it with the people that you support were there any particular themes so we are actually building student accommodation so we don't actually have any um people that we support right now that's the whole thing is we'll open in 2023 and support up to 50 people including 20 families 20 single parent families but um i suppose that was one of the big things you were seeing um just in the media overall was people struggling um particularly with i think there's a lot of confusion with online classes i don't know I don't know how people coped because I know of a few people who are living in homeless accommodation with children who are in education. How those people did that when the kids weren't going to school, that's, and then they still had to do exams on top of that. That was really tough for them. So actually one of my friends, thankfully she had family support. So she actually was able to leave her kid with with her family and actually go to their second house in um, their second house to be able to focus on doing her exams because it would have been a nightmare otherwise over the three days to get them out of the way. But these are the things people had to juggle and it was just really tough to do that. And I, I, I think people got on with it because there was no other choice. But I think it would be very sad if moving forward, we're not looking at those situations when we know that this is possibly going to happen again and saying, 
how can we do better next time? Um, and and I don't know that we've really done that, to be completely honest with you. Um, there's, there's still a lot of blaming going on, even with students. Like, obviously, they're going insane, you know, staying in all the time. But nobody's really taught about how to appropriately replace those social events that they need as a rite of passage, like Freshers' Week, which is what's, why it's ended up with these big, huge parties in Galway. And it's not just Galway. Across the world, we're seeing that, like, that Freshers' Week has been mental. You know, people have been they need to get out so yeah it's it's a it's a sad situation but i i i think people really struggled a lot more um during lockdown particularly people who um, were living in in um in in unsupportive accommodation but even people who had support around them had to go to a second house and that is a very privileged thing to be able to do you know so yeah um really feel for people who are who are going through that situation and, and i hope I hope that I hope that people I hope that universities in particular and edu- and educational institutions will recognize that this one size fits all approach for students during this lockdown is not the best way going forward and they need to really assess their vulnerable groups and look at how best to support them with the resources that they have um, um, over lockdown and that might be offering deferrals of exams or different things and not making people pay for them because you have to defer an exam that's like 200 quid so um, that's quite expensive we're just looking at different things like that I know that there is a financial hardship for all businesses um, but um, (laughs) at the end of the day it's more it's a lot easier for a university to get a loan than it is for a single parent so yeah uh, that's a that's a very good point as well yeah we're supporting businesses and getting businesses back to work but we need to also be mindful of supporting the average everyday person who might have access to loans or credit cards or yeah d- different experiences um it, it's been absolutely fascinating talking to both of you and i really sense a. I suppose a sense of precarity that comes with parenting and, and trying to manage the lives of little people and, you know, keep them safe and keep yourself safe and, and manage anxiety of, of so many different levels. So I'm very appreciative that the work that you both do in, in different ways is out there in Ireland to support people. Um, where can people find that information if they want to check out your work or they want to get involved with what you're doing? Sarah, where are you? Um, well, I have a weekly podcast and it's that's probably the easiest way to make contact with me, um, sarahsprell.com forward slash car, because <laughs> it's called sitting in a car, which is in my parenting anyway, something I spend a lot of time doing, taking people here, there. So that's um, a good way to get to know more about me and my work. Perfect. Yeah. And um, for, yeah, and for Empower the Family, if you just Google Empower the Family, we should be one of the first things that come up. I've really trained myself in SEO <laughs> the last couple of years, um, or just look us up on any social media site and you'll be able to find out more about us. And it brings you onto our website, which tells you a story about our journey, how we started and um, gives you updates in terms of our development and what we what what the vision is for what we'll look like, where it's supposed to be, all of those types of bits. Um, so yeah, it's that would be great. Thank you. Brilliant. Thank you both so much for your time today and for shining that spotlight onto the experience of parenting during COVID. And I hope that those lessons that we've learned do actually get applied going forward from various authorities and stuff. So thank you so, so much for, for joining me. And thanks to the listeners for joining in. If you like the podcast, you can follow us along on Twitter. It's the hashtag COVID Care Podcast. If you want to drop me a line about anything that's mentioned, it's hello, it's Caroline West at gmail.com. Um, feel free to leave a, a rating or review on Apple or follow us on Spotify. And I look forward to chatting to you next time. 